0: So it turns out that now I have to read the Reddit just to get answers from you for questions that really should have been answered on the show.
1: What are you talking about?
0: So apparently you had a theme for your entire year this year that you just didn't bring up when we were talking about goals and planning for 2016 last week.
1: It, it Yeah, it just didn't come up in the conversation. What? <laughs> Or you you didn't draw it out of me. It's your job as a professional interviewer to draw all the interesting things out of me, Mike. Have I just been told that this is an interview show? Is that what this is? (laughs) Is that what I'm here to do for you now? Let's just say that interviewing is not my strong skill. Or even offering any information. Directing conversations is not my skill. This is is why I have to work with people who do direct conversations. Mm -hmm. Such as yourself. So last time we were talking about New Year's resolutions... And how mostly we think that they are dumb and ineffective for various reasons. But the thing that I didn't mention last time is that I am not opposed to the idea of having a theme for the year. And I'm not exactly sure when this idea like crept into my mind. But I have noticed people doing themes for the year. I know several people this year who are doing themes themes for the year. And so I don't think that's a bad idea as a replacement notion for a New Year's resolution. Like a theme can be something that helps guide your decisions over the following year. It, It doesn't have to be like a goal that you are trying to achieve. So I wish I had a catchy year of for my theme, so I, like everyone I know who's doing this, they say, oh, this is the year of X. Linux on desktops. Yes, this is the year <laughs> of Linux on the desktop.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and you're making it your own personal goal to
1: yeah. assure, assure that that happens. I remember a decade plus ago now being in university when I used Linux <laughs> and thinking, this is going to be everywhere in no time. <laughs> oh how wrong i was yeah and everybody else (laughs) since so i wish i could i could come up with a a single word but what i have come to the conclusion that my theme for the year if i had to pick a single word is i would say the year of less is my theme Mm. for the year Mm. and it would really be because year of less sounds nice but it really should be the year of less and then in brackets, me. Right? Of, I have been thinking a lot about the kinds of projects that I'm involved in. I was thinking a lot about this on my trip to Amsterdam, which we talked about recently. And just thinking in the biggest, broadest picture of the kind of work that I do, the kind of side projects that I do. What do I want to take on? What do I not want to take on? And I have come to the realization that I am at the limit of the number of projects that I can work on that require me to be constantly involved in an intimate way. Mm -hmm. So obviously the YouTube videos, the two podcasts, each of these, they can't be done without me. Like I am... intimate part of of this project and as we have discussed i always like to work on various side projects and i I reference this as a thing like i like to do this this is a thing that i think is good you never really know what's going to pay off but really none of my side projects aside from these two podcasts in the past mm, two years have gone very many places
0: they don't really see the light of day yeah, they all get killed in the crib. Oh wow, that's a that is a really heavy metaphor.
1: <laughs> wow, turn out the drama today, Gray. I don't think that's drama. That's a perfectly apt metaphor. The sure. side project is like a brand new baby, full of hope. Uh-huh. That you just murder
0: yeah. <laughs> right. right, yeah, you carry on down that, that line of thought.
1: I partly came to that conclusion because, uh, as I think I referenced in the last podcast, in, in Amsterdam, one of the the side projects that came closest to being something real, I murdered because I, I, it was really this this thought of, let me imagine if this project is wildly successful. Like, let's say it's as successful as a person can reasonably expect that it would be. I realized, oh, okay, all I will have done for myself is add another YouTube channel level of requirement for my own interaction in the project. What about all the good things that would come with that? Like money. More money is always better. There's not a scenario under which more money is not better. But my my theme is the year of less because it is... It is about recognizing the limits of how much I can possibly do. Right. Like, how much can I directly be involved in? And, I, and I've come to the conclusion that, like, oh, okay. If any of these side projects that I have worked on that would involve me ongoing uh, working on them in the future, if they're successful, at this stage, they would have to be taking time away from other things that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And so the realization that I have had is that if for any side projects that I am going to work on at this point in the future, I have to at least envision that if it is successful, there is a way for it to either be done as in a completely self-contained, it is finished, it doesn't require updating kind of project. Or... It needs to be something that I can turn over to somebody else, right? Where I can, I could say like hire someone if the thing is very successful to continue to work on it and it would not have to be me working on the thing. Sure. So this is, this is what I mean by like my theme of the year of less is like less me involved in any side projects. And so I've just been thinking very carefully about any of the things that I choose to work on of what is the end point in this if it is successful is it successful in the way that it is just done it is just finished or is it successful in the way that it's something i can turn over to somebody else right and if it doesn't meet one of those criteria i've decided this is no longer a project that i'm going to work on i can't create for myself another thing like a podcast or another thing like a youtube channel It would just put me over the limit for how many things I can possibly do. And I think that's partly why, as you've said, none of my side projects in the past have come to light, really, because this was the limiting factor that I just didn't really think through carefully enough about, of course, you can't take on yet another one.
0: So it's not necessarily that the idea of you having side projects is over, but there are just new kind of rules that these side projects need to adhere to, like the idea of being able to pass them to somebody else. So like when you, when an opportunity comes up, you'd have to assess if that seems like it would be possible before you'd consider entertaining it.
1: Yes, that's exactly right. I, I will never be free of side projects. It's just the way that my brain is. If, if I tried to eliminate side projects entirely... I would just end up, I think, hating my main projects because you have to have something else which is like, oh, this is a fun thing to work on. Mm-hmm. And so that has been largely the criteria I've used in the past for side projects. Is this fun and interesting? And there are many things that are fun and interesting, but they can't be fun and interesting things that spin off ongoing, indefinite projects in the future. Like, it, it's just not, it's just not something that is possible.
0: And also for the money side, like, to come back to that again... Um, it may actually, I don't know this, but it may be easier to grow your existing projects to make more money from them than it would be to start brand new ones in the hope that they will make you a lot of money.
1: Yeah, well, this this goes, this goes back to the thing uh, that I've discussed before, where I think everybody should have some notion of how much money they earn per active hour of working, and like that, that formula in, is involved in two things Like money coming in and time going out right? And you divide those, those two numbers I'm really scared to do that calculation <laughs> Why
0: are you scared to do that? I'm just worried it's going to show me something I don't want to see
1: <sighs> See, that's precisely why, why you, should you should
0: do, should it, do like. it Yeah, but then if, if it shows me that Oh, your time is worth a dollar an hour Then what do I do? Like I'm scared of the potential Bad feelings that may give me it's on my list,
1: but not yeah, right now. It's on your list. Yeah, it's on your list, and it's not right now. Yeah. For someone like you, you seem like you are in just a prime category of person who should definitely do this. As in, if I was you, I would want to know what is the dollar value of hours spent per show that you work on. Mm-hmm. Because you are a host on Relay FM, but you are also an owner of Relay FM. And so I think you you, like I would want to know as an owner of Relay FM, this idea of, again, you imagine yourself as two different people, which is something we might talk about a little bit later. But as two different people, like the owner of the company and then someone who is directing an employee who is also you to do certain kinds of work. And so I I would want to know, like, what is my what is the value of this employee per hour per project? But it just so happens that this employee is also you. That's why I think you should totally do it. Yeah, don't get me wrong.
0: Uh, this what we're going to talk about later. This book that we've been reading has actually started making me think that I should do this. So when mm. I say it's on my list, whilst that list is like this mental thing, it's knocking around in my brain a little bit more. So maybe we can actually come back to this idea on a
1: later yeah. episode. Yeah, we'll 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 come back to this. But to return to the theme of the year of less. What I'm aware of is for projects in the future and how I track my hourly earnings for my business, I have to largely focus on not increasing the denominator in this formula of dollars per hour. Sure. Right. That the denominator is relatively maxed out, like I've done all of these clever things about, okay, my afternoons are unproductive time, but I can fill afternoons with podcast work as a, as a thing that I can do, which is why we are recording right now at like 3.45 in the afternoon, which is normally just a terrible dead time for me, but it is a time that with some coffee, I can talk to my good friend, Mike, and we can do some podcasting. I figured out some of these things, but the year of less for me is this idea of recognizing how new projects could fit into my business if they're wildly successful and recognizing some limitations on how many hours I can put in during the day, how many hours I want to put in during the day and trying to figure out the way to make that work out. So I am currently just in the the very beginning stages of a, of a, side project that i'm interested in working on whether it comes to the light of day we'll see at the end of the year who knows but i'm working on that side project with my side project time because i can see if this is successful it is the kind of project where i could hand it over to somebody that the project itself could pay for their salary to keep the thing going right and that is like that is now a requirement for side projects in the future
0: that's a good requirement i have to say the idea of less is definitely something that is a theme for me this year but like in a slightly different way Mm -hmm. and i've already acted on it a little bit in i've cut down uh the active hours of recording for me by uh, canceling a show or retiring a show um, and dropping two sh- two weekly shows down to fortnightly we spoke about this mm-hmm. you know that that's one of those things for me where it's doing less of that type of work because the podcasting work takes up the most amount of time because you're spending multiple hours and this is what you do you, you, it's blocked out mm-hmm. where my other work is a little bit more sporadic um, mm-hmm. so i'm trying to just cut down a lot of that kind of scheduled time where i must be working on something um, so yeah, I, uh, I, I'm thinking that that is a different theme for me as well, but in a slightly different way.
1: Do you know, I mean, how many, uh, how many hours a week then, or I guess maybe, maybe you think on a bi-weekly schedule, but how yeah. many hours have you gotten back with those changes? Do you know, roughly speaking? I've
0: probably got back about six to seven hours every other week.
1: That's a pretty big gain.
0: Yeah. Cause it's the preparation, the recording and the editing, and I've been able to drop that down. So I'm kind of at the moment of structure of my week where I kind of have one week on, one week off um, in that I record three shows one week and then like six or seven shows the next week. Hmm. And I'm trying to get used to this, but I think that's a pretty good way of doing things because when I feel really busy, I'm like, next week will be better. And that has kind of helped me so far. Um, I know we're only like a month into it, but where I feel like I've been really busy one week, I'm like, it's okay. Next week's gonna have more time, hmm. and that's been quite a nice feeling for me. Um, going like having done this a few over a few different weeks now, so I
1: quite like that. It's very interesting that you mention that because one of the ideas that has been knocking around in my head that is under the theme of the year of less is trying to figure out some kind of schedule like that. Because I've always said that one of the biggest downsides about being self-employed is that the work never leaves you. Mm-hmm. That that you're always thinking about it. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It's always on your mind. And... You can't sweep it under the rug either, which I used to do. Yeah, yeah you can't sweep it under the rug. There's nobody else who's going to pick up the problems, you know, when when you drop them right it's because they're all your problems you just drop them on the floor and it's like oh i have to clean that up Mm -hmm. um and to compare and contrast the thing that was the greatest about teaching was looking forward to the holidays like that was the best part of the job, without a doubt and i too have been just wondering in the theme of year of less is if there is a way to build back in some kind of schedule like that you know, I don't know what it would be, but I've just been toying with the idea of like, can I do four weeks on and then one week as like a low power week and then four weeks on and one week as a low power week to have some kind of cycle in the working schedule to do this same thing that, that it sounds like you are beginning to see this idea of chunking work into different kinds of, of schedule time. So that you have some sense of like, oh, this is the busy time, this is the less busy time, this is the busy time, this is the less busy time, as opposed to the thing that I don't like, which is just this constant, uniform background radiation of work that is ever unchanging. Yeah. That's something I have been toying around with. How could I make this work in the year of less? So it's it's interesting that you you have done something like that so far with your own schedule. Yeah,
0: it started to happen accidentally and then i made some choices specifically to make it this way and and i'm i'm i'll report back how this is going but right mm. now i'm pretty happy with it
1: yeah i th- i think there's something to be said for that like whenever whenever i could as a as a teacher i always like to schedule as much as possible teaching days and non-teaching days like let's try to have Monday is wall-to-wall classes from the morning until the end of the day. If that means I can get a Tuesday where there's only one class or two classes. Yeah. All right, like that was way better. Like I hated the couple of years where I had a schedule where every day was the same. right? Where there's like, oh, there's four or five classes every single day and there's no big chunks of time in between them. I much preferred a schedule that was super lumpy with everything or nothing on, on particular days.
0: Yeah, because it reminds me of my uh, sixth form college uh, timetable. That's mm-hmm. what I think of when I think of this, is I had exactly that. I had one week where I was in every day, mm-hmm. and then another week where I was in three days, but no earlier than 1 p.m. Hmm. And I loved it. Mm-hmm. I just loved working that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's it's kind of reminding me of that a little bit. And, and so I, I kind of built a lot of my habits around that and and i think this is pretty nice
1: so is cortex on the busy week yeah or okay (laughs) yeah and it could only be this is part of the busy week (laughs) because as i said to you before
0: like thursday is cortex day it's the only thing i do because it's all i can handle
1: but you see that's why i thought oh surely i'm on the non-busy week because this is the only thing that you do if you were on the non-busy
0: week it would make the non-busy week the busy week
1: I'm not that much trouble, Mike. You're not. It's the whole (laughs) thing around the show. Talking to me is not the hard part. It's all my picky demands behind the scenes that's the hard part. Is that it?
0: I have no idea what you're talking about. Was that like how we spent like two hours this morning trying to find a tool to replace Google Docs? You remember referring to that? This is the type of stuff that happens on my Thursday. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about.
1: (laughs) Of course you don't. Two hours of fruitless endeavor.
0: Today's episode of Cortex is brought to you by Smile, and I get to talk to you today about one of my very favorite apps and that's PDF Pen. Let me tell you why I love PDF Pen. It's like a Swiss Army knife for working with PDFs. You have all of the basics covered. You can fill in and sign forms, you can make edits to PDFs, you can highlight things and even use OCR to recognize text so you can drag it out and put it in another application. And also, you have incredible powerful features like redaction, word exporting, page numbering and Bates numbering. You're like a PDF wizard with pdf pen and with pdf pen for ipad and iphone you'll also be able to take control of your contracts and forms no matter where you are pdf pen is also awesome if you are the type of person who wants to or has a paperless office no more printing scanning and faxing you'll just fill in and sign with pdf pen and you'll be on your way I love PDF pen because I have to sign contracts and fill in forms a bunch because of the type of work that I do. I sign contracts for sponsorships and stuff like that. This happens pretty frequently so people will send me like maybe a Word document or even a PDF if I'm lucky. I just put it into PDF pen I'm able to sign it and I can use my Wacom tablet to like actually sign it, which is I don't know I kind of like that and then I can export it out and send it on the way. I mean some people I even export it as word and just send them back the Word document because I know that's what they're going to want. PDF pen makes this so so easy. I don't need to print things. I don't need to scan things. It's absolutely fantastic. Smiler so has a bunch of great tutorials from this to David Sparks of MacPower Users' Fame on Relay FM. These short videos will teach you everything that you need to know about PDF Pen. Seven, and you can learn all about this, and you can learn all about this and find those videos at smilesoftwarecom Cortex. PDF Pen Seven and PDF Pen Pro Seven require OS ten Yosemite and work beautifully on OS ten El Capitan. PDF Pen for iOS is available from the App Store. Thank you so much to Smile and PDF Pen for sponsoring this week's episode of Cortex. So we had uh, some pretty good feedback on the Reddit. Um, mm-hmm. From a user who goes by the name Blind Blonde PhD about goals. And I just wanted to read this because I thought it was really good um, mm-hmm. and did a much better job than we did of summing up goals. Uh, this person says that they are a psychologist who does research in this field and they have three points that people should think about as general rules of thumb for goal setting. Point one is make a goal specific. I want to lose X amount of pounds is better than I want to lose weight because you have a clear idea of where you are and where you need to be to achieve your goal. Point two, make the goal challenging yet attainable. This challenge should force yourself to actually change your behavior or work hard to attain it. And point three is the person must be committed to a goal. Goals dictated from your boss that you're committed to won't work. We also have evidence that just paying someone a raise isn't always the best method to motivate people either. I thought these were really good. And, mm. like, that last one really, you know, that goes against what I was saying about the corporate goals. It's like mm. no one's committed to them, so nobody bothers.
1: Yeah, that that yeah, that's definitely the case. Yeah, goals dictated from your boss. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care. Like, I'm not committed to this.
0: And I like the idea of, like, I want to lose X amount of pounds as opposed to I want to lose weight. Like, that is a really good way of putting it because... I need to work out what my goal is. Because right now, I just know I want to lose some weight. I haven't worked out exactly how much weight I do want to
1: lose. That's hard to not have a a specific goal. Are are you keeping it on a spreadsheet at least, Mike? We talked about spreadsheets last time. You do have it on a spreadsheet, right? Yeah. Okay. All right, good. Don't worry. You're going to put it on a public Twitter? I can help you do that if you want to put it on a public Twitter. Absolutely not. No, you don't want to do that? I'm not interested in that. okay. The only way I do that
0: is if one of those scales arrives at my home. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm not buying one. Oh, okay, yeah I don't uh, know what you're up to. uh where do you live, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> not telling you <laughs> that was that was my my safety net in saying that is I'm pretty sure you don't have my address. Uh, oh, and I need to to provide a, a an important piece of follow up about what about this show. Oh yeah, okay. yeah, from last week's episode, so a couple of hours after we record. Adina arrives at home. Mm-hmm. And I'm not 100% sure how we got onto this topic, but she kind of mentioned in passing that y- her contact information had been provided to you mm-hmm. via Casey. Our, our mutual friend, Mr. Casey Liss, of the Accidental Tech Podcast. Mm-hmm. You took advantage of Casey.
1: I don't know what you're talking to about.
0: To get Adina's contact information to talk to her about my diet.
1: I, I don't know what you're talking about. Poor Casey. Uh, I just guessed Adina's information. Oh, yeah? Nobody else was, was uh, involved or is going to be implicated. Well, it's, it's too late. I am sticking to my story. Yeah, I'm sure you are. <laughs> I, uh, I sent Adina a suggestion today. You know, she asked for suggestions for you, so I sent her one.
0: It was funny, we were talking about this last night. She's like, "I." he sent me one message, I sent him one back, and he never replied. I'm like, yeah, that's great. <laughs> I was like, it's just how he is. He just doesn't reply to messages. It's totally fine. I do reply to
1: messages, just eventually.
0: And sometimes we have completely different things as to what the message was about. Therefore, you didn't reply to it. I am looking at the dates on this
1: iMessage conversation, and it is two weeks <laughs> until okay. I replied. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. The replies, they never come. Listen, I I don't think I don't think it's a secret at this point to anybody who listens to me on podcasts that they know I am very difficult to get in touch with even under the best of circumstances even if you have my iMessage information unless you're animating <laughs> that's true unless I'm I'm looking for distraction desperately
0: yeah. I imagine I can only imagine that you send messages to everyone until somebody replies yeah like please someone get me out of yeah. this
1: <laughs> everybody look at this funny buffalo stock footage. <laughs> That's what I do.
0: In between last episode and this episode, you set me a task Mm -hmm. to read a book Mm -hmm. called The E-Myth Revisited. Mm -hmm. Um, I asked you, why are we doing this now? Shouldn't we set homework for the listener? And you told me specifically that we should not tell people to read this book. That was that was not exactly what I said. Alright, well let me find exactly what you said.
1: <laughs> oh no, don't pull up the iMessage conversation.
0: <laughs> Maybe I've put my own uh my own. I think you have put your own on
1: spin on this. I suggested I suggested that you read this book because the topic of, of doing the follow-up on year themes came up. And as listeners will see shortly. I think that the E-Myth Revisited aligns with the theme of the Year of Less uh, in the same way that uh, one, of the, one of the books I recommended on uh, Audible for Cortex was uh, Essentialism, which is a book that I read recently, which also aligns with the Year of Less. So I, I just thought the E-Myth would be, uh, would be something to have you read, to have us discuss on the next show.
0: This show. This show. I just want to preface this whole conversation here by saying to the listener, don't feel like you have to pause and go and get this book and listen to it or read it. Um, Actually, I would implore that you do not do that. Uh, Do not listen to this or read this. Just listen to this conversation. Uh, My hope is that I will give you or we will give you all of the value that you're going to need from this book. Over the course of this discussion. Oh yeah. Why did you read this book? Like how did this book even
1: come into your view in the first place? Okay, so let me tell you the story with, with this book. Yeah. This falls into the category of books that I sometimes mention and recommend to people that I think of as business books. Mm-hmm. And I I don't just mean books that are for business people. But there, there is, like, a genre of books which are not as terrible as, like, a self-help book would be. Like, self-help mm-hmm. books are just awful. Yep. Right? They are just totally useless. And in my mind, business books is a category of books that usually include, like, people who have accomplished something writing some book with advice about how they have accomplished a thing.
0: Yeah, I've, re- I've read a bunch of these books as well. Yeah.
1: But I don't mean to say that they are for businesses necessarily. Sure. So this is just a category of book that I have always read to some degree in because I think, oh, I would like to do some kind of self-improvement, but there's nothing useful in the self-improvement section. So this is the more actionable part of that that section of the bookstore. Right. And so I do not know how I originally came across the e Revisited, but at some stage I read it. And I remember I read it when I was uh, a teacher. I think back a long time ago, probably when I was still teaching at my first school. And I read it back then and I thought, well, this book is terrible and useless. And (laughs) I was not a fan of it. (laughs) Uh Mm -hmm. And a couple months ago, I was talking with... A fellow youtube friend of mine and somehow the topic of the book came up i was vaguely discussing ideas with this person about the the year of less even though it wasn't under that exact title they were doing something that was sort of similar and this person mentioned the e-myth revisited as a book and suggested that i try rereading it i did reread it and it was interesting because At the time that I read it, when I was a teacher and I was trying to get something off the ground, there was nothing of of value to be derived from that book for me. But fast forward 8-10 years, when I'm actually a person who is now running my own very small business with just myself as the one person who works for it, this book now does have something of value to say to someone in my exact position so it is the rereading of this book i thought huh okay i am now in the position where there is value to be derived from this book
0: i agree mostly but Mm -hmm. not completely i believe this book is terrible but i don't think it's useless and and i think that you it is possible to derive value from this if you're just in the position of having a side thing that you like, mm-hmm. you're fully employed. I I think this could help someone think about things to take their side business to a full business. I think it's possible to do that. Um, there are many problems with this book that we will get into, mm-hmm. uh, but I can easily see how you how someone and how you did in your position like completely miss what he was trying to get at. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that there is some value in it. But th- I think the book could be a tenth of the size um and to, and you'd get the exact same value
1: out of it. This is a fundamental property of all business books. They are too long. This is easily one of the worst for this that
0: I've ever read though. <laughs> it really really is. I mean they, they usually these books do tend to be too long and they're peppered with like a bunch of crap and a bunch of just like going over the same thing multiple times. Mm-hmm. Um and I think maybe some people find value in that because it helps drive home the point. But on the whole, I think that that's kind of wasted. But I think this book suffers from that in a, in brand new heights that I'd not yet come into contact with. So let's talk about it, right? Let's talk about what this book is. One okay. of the first things you need to know is that the E in Emis stands for entrepreneurial. I right. thought it meant like online. Right. But this is actually quite
1: an old book. So yeah, yes. this
0: was like written in the '90s because at one point during the uh, towards the end, he talks about the coming change of the millennium. I was like, "Oh no, <laughs> this <is> like <laughs> how old is this book?" <laughs> He's like, "The coming millennium." I was like, "Oh, this explains a lot about you because there's mm. very little anything in this book that is close to the internet. Like, mm-hmm. y- you kind of get this feeling throughout that, like." This guy just hates the internet, but no, it's because the internet doesn't really exist yet in right. the way that we know it to be now.
1: Yeah, he's not avoiding the elephant in the room. And he
0: talks about IBM, constantly talks about IBM. And it's like, <laughs> why do you love IBM so
1: much? It's like, oh, because it's the late 90s. Right. <laughs> IBM, which feels like a brontosaurus lumbering across the plains when you talk about it now. <laughs> There was one thing that I had to do while
0: I was halfway through this
1: book and I was really
0: excited and, and it didn't give me what I wanted, which is to check to see if this guy's business was still in business. Mm-hmm. It is. So he has a company called e Worldwide, right? And, and they're like basically a management consultancy and business consultancy firm. Mm-hmm. And this book is intended to sum up a lot of what they do and what they help people do, which is to help people turn around their small businesses when they're in trouble.
1: Yeah, so that that's kind of the fundamental if we're, if we're talking for a moment about the content of the book. Yeah. The the sales pitch of it might be that it is for someone who is running a small business, feels ridiculously overwhelmed and overburdened by the business and is having a difficult time figuring out what exactly the problem yep. is. Like I think that that might be the sales pitch for it and that might also be why someone can now see like oh okay, I was in a position to derive some value from this book later in a way that I was not in a position to derive value from it before I even had a business to be running at all. Like I was just doing yeah. experiments. So I have lots of notes um, and I was
0: taking these notes as I was listening to the book. I, I got the audiobook, which is lovingly narrated by Mr. Michael Gerber, the author. <laughs> I think that was a mistake. <laughs> oh, it was a horrible mistake.
1: So you told me at some point, I, I recommended that you you read this. I know, Mike, that you do not read books. I do You not. only listen to audiobooks, which is perfectly fine. Yeah. And so I said, oh, okay, yeah, you might as well just listen to this audiobook. And there are many cases with audiobooks where I think many nonfiction books benefit from being audiobooks because they they help get you through boring sections. Like you can just kind of plow on in a way that's a little bit more difficult when you are physically reading a book yeah i don't think i would have finished this if i was reading it right that, and that might normally be the case yeah. but when i discovered that you listened to the audiobook and it was read by the author i thought oh no <laughs> that, that sounds like a terrible idea because the author is a slightly crazy person maybe yeah. in some ways i have never listened to it but i predicted that this was this was not going to be a good thing to have the author read this this audiobook you need
0: to hear this so like i'll put a link in our show notes to the audible page which i believe has a sample on it you just Mm -hmm. need to hear him how he talks Mm -hmm. uh and i think it will help actually why don't you do that now okay let me let me let me actually hear what this sounds like. i want you to hear what this guy sounds like i got it i'm listening now
1: risking capital to make a profit This is simply not so. The real reasons people start businesses have little to do with entrepreneurship. In fact, this belief in the entrepreneurial myth is the most important factor in the devastating rate of small business failure today. Okay, just listen to a little section of it. This is a little bit like the actor who plays uh, Vizini in The Princess Bride the Sicilian. (laughs) His name is Wallace Sean. Yeah. Inconceivable! It's like if Wallace Sean was doing a really professional reading of something, like he could tone down the way he sounds, but uh, I imagine this would be quite difficult to listen to for however many hours it is. Eight. Eight. Eight long hours for you, huh, Mike?
0: It was long. So let me go chronologically through some of the things that uh, stuck out to me in this book. So one of the first things that uh, Mr. Gerber talks about is small business owners and how, when people start their own businesses, they work way more than they should be working. And the, but the problem is that they they're doing the wrong type of work for them for them. Which I thought was really interesting because I I can definitely associate with that and I think you can as well. And I think that's one of the things that's driven us both to consider doing less is that we find that sometimes we're doing the work that we not necessarily should be. Mm -hmm. And this goes into this whole thing, this whole like one of the things that underpins this entire book is that people are one of three types of person. And you're either an entrepreneur, a manager or a technician and that it's possible to move between them. But you need to think about things in different ways and have different types of skills. And one of the things that he talks about, which I think is really interesting, is that when people leave their jobs to start businesses, they're usually in the technician phase or in the technician mindset, as in they are the person doing the work. And they can do the work and they do the work well, but they don't see why they should be doing that work for, for someone else. They should be doing that work for themselves. So they go off and start their businesses, but they don't get out of the technician mindset. And all they keep doing is just the work always and then get bogged down in all of the other things that it takes to run a business. And then it can get a bit overwhelming.
1: That is by far and away the key value in this book.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, it comes really soon. Like You can listen like to the first hour
1: and you've got all you need. And I didn't know this when I was listening to it. I'm looking at, I'm looking at my, uh, my notes from the book and I can see his breakdown of the manager and the technician and the entrepreneur, at least in my ebook reading of it, is on page 24 of 204. <laughs> yeah,
0: and that's it. Like uh, He goes into a lot of detail. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a whole massive section later, which is completely pointless, in my opinion. But this is the key thing that comes out of this book that I think is really interesting. And the idea of breaking out of the technician, becoming the manager and being the entrepreneur, and like having to think about all of those things. And you must be all of them. Yeah. At certain times of your business. And and that is a really interesting thing. And the idea of most people leaving their jobs just being technicians and not transitioning is something that so many people have to deal with. And usually like I know what happened for me is it just all fell on me. And I came to realize a lot of this stuff, but it was kind of overwhelming to begin with. It's like, Oh, you have to do it all now, mm-hmm. you know? And, and that was a, a big thing, a big turning point for me and something that I'm slowly trying, trying to transition out of, but still like my transitions a long way away. And this book has helped me think
1: about some of that stuff. And, there is a little bit more of that to come. Just want to really hammer home this point, because it is really one of the only points. <laughs> <laughs> but what I found, you know, is quite striking is he is he's trying to talk about what kinds of people end up going into business for themselves. And it is very likely that, you know, if you are listening to this podcast and you have started your own business or you are currently working on side projects, that You are someone who is very competent. And you're very competent probably at whatever it is you're doing at work. And this is the idea like you are the technician. You are the person at work who is getting things done. right? Or you have some skill on the side that you are attempting to leverage that you are very good at. And this is the idea of the technician. You are technically able at your skill. This is why your boss employs you, or it is why you think about doing something on the side that involves this skill. And that from the from the perspective of the technician, your boss or your manager, they're people who just kind of get in the way of whatever it is that you're trying to do. And that, that's the feeling that you have. And so... The the thing that really uh, struck home with me about this is thinking again when I was teaching is this feeling of there were many lessons that I could do with the kids that I thought were really great lessons that got them involved and got them interested. But then this feeling of, oh, the whole structure of the school requires that the students write things down at regular intervals. And if we don't have something in their notes, then this lesson didn't happen And so this is that that frustration of like, I can put together a good, interesting lesson, but the bosses and the structure above are the thing that are frustrating me and limiting me. So it's like, boy, I would love to work for myself. And this idea that because you are skilled at something, you will very naturally end up creating a business around your skill, whatever it is that you are able to do. And the problem is, however, that this role, this person that you can be, the technician, the person who is good at making something, is not the same skill as someone who is running a business for someone who is self-employed. You have created a job for yourself around your skill, but if you just continue to do that all the time, you're going to run into problems and I've discussed this with some other people and and this is in the theme of the year of less is this realization like what we were talking about in the beginning of like boy I sure could create another YouTube channel like I would know how to make a YouTube channel that would be interesting and that people would want to watch like I could make YouTube channels on various topics but if I keep acting in this role of technician I'm just going to end up causing for myself more and more problems because I'm just going to run out of ability to do stuff or just not understand like what is the direction that the business should take. So that like that to me is the real interesting key. Like the technician is the one who gets things started, who is able to create something of value that other people want. But that if you keep operating in only this mindset, you're going to eventually drive yourself into a bunch of problems. This is a really good thing to think
0: about. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole idea of just having to consider that you've got, you're have you going to have a lot of new things to do and it's not just the work anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really, this is why I think it's useful for people that have a side business to to learn this before mm. because then they know before they do it that like you're going to have to consider all of these different things.
1: Yeah, there's going to be much more that you that you have to do uh, that, that you're not necessarily expecting. Yeah, I, I think that was just that's just a really great point, and it's something that I had vaguely thought about. Like if, if you go you know back and, and listen to earlier Cortex shows, like I, I do talk about this idea of. Thinking about myself as like the CEO of Gray Incorporated, and as an employee of Gray Incorporated, right? Yeah. And there there are different ways that you have to think. And I think even when we were discussing first doing this podcast, you know, I I think I explicitly told you at a couple points, like, okay, I'm thinking of this not in terms of like, boy, is this a thing that I can do? I'm trying to think of this in terms of if I was the the CEO of a company. Is this something I would say, yes, one of my employees should do? Like this podcast called Cortex.
0: Yeah. And we we have a good relationship like that. Um, and I don't know if you have this of other people, but there are times where we would, you know, you would say, or I would say like, we're talking about this strictly as business now. Yeah. And we have a conversation, which is without the friendship. It's like, this is purely a business conversation, CEO to
1: CEO kind of stuff. Yeah. We've done that many times and it's very helpful. Yeah.
0: So we just put the friendship at the door we need to talk about business for a moment and then we can pick it up later and I, I like that thinking um and there's a part way later in the book which which was quite useful to me is thinking about having an organizational chart in your business
1: yes that is the second valuable idea
0: in yeah. this book the end <laughs> exactly and and this is something that i'm thinking a bit about and wondering like how would we do this at Relay FM, and we probably should do this. Um, and mm-hmm. I brought this up to Stephen, and he's now going to hear the idea because I've not explained it to him yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, what Gerber does is he explains this, like he creates this bu- this business called Widget Inc. And there's these two people, and they run the business together. And at one point, they sit down and they map out in an ideal world, what are all of the jobs that need to occur in this business? Mm -hmm. Like COO, president, vice president of marketing, marketing person, vice president of sales, salesperson. And then between those two people, they're the only two people in the business, they divide up every single job and sign contracts for Mm -hmm. those jobs. So one person is like the COO, the vice president of production, and the production person. The other is like, the vice president of marketing, the marketing person, the vice president of sales and the salesperson. Mm -hmm. And they talk together and they work out who the best person is for each job. They take all of those roles. And he said, what it allows you to do is to think in the business, you are doing the stuff and think on the business. So you are the salesperson and the salesperson's boss. right? And thinking about those two roles for yourself helps you do the work and advance your business at the same time. And then later you can Become the vice president of sales as you hire a salesperson and they take your old job. And I thought that way of thinking about it is really smart because me and Steven were talking about what we want our goals to be for our business this year. And we actually mm-hmm. had this conversation after last week. We were both in the mindset of it. And one of the things that we were talking about and then one of the things that I know is I want us to have some help this year, but we don't really know what that is yet. Right. And I was thinking this is going to be a great way for us to work out what is the help we need and what are the roles that person should fill.
1: Yeah, that that's exactly what this is. This this idea, and it's something I, I've I've tried to some extent to do it myself. I think it's a little harder when you're just a single person. Because you're every
0: single job.
1: Yeah, because you're yeah. every single job and so it's less differentiated. Whereas I think if you have two, it's a lot easier to say, oh, okay, yes, obviously you do this and I do this. But it is really useful to try and think about the company as it exists without you, even if you are an integral part of it. And so I'm, I'm actually, I'm looking at the, the chart that he has right now. And so, yes, he has, you know, divided up between even going so far as like the shareholders, right? like you are the shareholders and then design the company as though your only role was as a shareholder. If you couldn't do any of the things that the company does, what are all of the roles that need to be filled? And so like that's that's a thing that you and Steven could do because you are shareholders of Relay, you could think, "Oh, okay. Let's say we couldn't be involved directly. It's okay. Well, we would need hosts. We would need someone who manages the hosts, and then so then like there's a vice president of talent management something yeah. along those lines i like the right? sound of that i'm go. gonna take that job
0: <laughs> we would also have the vice president of dealing with gray right the, yeah,
1: yeah. a whole division there's a there's a gray vertical on this chart <laughs> right <laughs> which is just for managing me gray's handler yeah gray's pillow fluffer yeah i like this this uh-huh. this is perfect yeah uh, and mike fills all these roles right now Yep. but obviously we could have more people <laughs> fluffing my pillows at a later date uh, but yeah, so I think this this is helpful if you are a single person, I can imagine that in a company where it's the two of you, that this seems like something that would be vital. It's a vital tool to help think about the organization of the business. And it's a vital tool to delineate clearly, okay, who is in charge of what? Instead of, OK, one of us just picks up at work when it's available, like really have it written down and laser clear who you are as though the company was a much bigger thing than it really is.
0: Yeah. So I really like that thinking. That was another very useful thing that came out of the book for me and, and something I'm going to think a little bit more about and look at how we could maybe implement something like that.
1: Mm. That is the second valuable idea in the book. Which yep. com- comes from me on page 126. So there's a 100 page gap between the two ideas. Uh, and then. Uh, Let's talk about some of the things that happen in those 100 pages, shall we? Yeah, I was going to say that. And then uh, <laughs> there are almost no notes from me after page 126. There's yep. another 100 something pages. And I have two highlights from that whole section. <laughs> mm-hmm. The book opens with statistics
0: about how many businesses fail in America. Mm -hmm. that is the opening of this book and to paraphrase after this section is done it's basically gerber saying there are so many books out there to help you run a small business so why do people fail well this one's going to be the one that makes sure you succeed Mm -hmm. that's effectively how he starts which is this is how many many business books are right like of course you're gonna fail unless you read this you're so lucky you bought this book now you're gonna be okay And then Gerber introduces a term that he uses a lot in this book that I hate. I hate this term. Mm -hmm. And basically this term is to describe what happens when a technician, a person doing the work, decides they want to leave their job and they make the snap judgment and decision to leave their job and start their own thing. Mm -hmm. He calls it an entrepreneurial seizure.
1: Oh, wow. That is bad. I hate this term. Had you forgotten this? Well, here's the thing, Mike. You have listened to this book very recently. In the last couple of days. (laughs) (laughs) Right. For (laughs) me, this book, I have much warmer feelings toward it. Because it's like, oh, yeah, I remember there were things that I don't like. Mm -hmm. I have a couple of points that I want to make about things that I didn't like. But, I don't know, my, my feeling always with these kinds of books is I want to extract whatever value is from them. And I just assume that there's a huge amount of nonsense and ridiculousness. This one happens to be very, very high on the spectrum of things that are crazy and nonsensical. Yeah. But the 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 <laughs> harshness of it has has faded in my mind. I guess, can I tell you the one thing that I really remember from this book yeah. as, as the part that is just, what I, I think of as business book sins and... Listeners, in case you don't read these kind of books, I just want to be clear the thing that I'm about to describe is a thing that I have read many authors do, but this book is just the peak example of it. And it it falls into two parts, which is the whole structure of the book is the author talking to (gasps) an imaginary person
0: who doesn't exist. I don't care. This person, Sarah, who oh, runs a pie shop. I think it's
1: Sarah. I couldn't yeah. quite remember, but I thought it was Sarah. I do remember that she owns a pie shop.
0: I will never believe that Sarah, it was a real person.
1: Well, it's, yeah, it's it's an amalgamation of, of people. It's a theoretical example. What You know, whatever it is, it is a book structured as a conversation to an imaginary person who acts as a, a sounding board for the author and a way for the author to have examples of how to solve particular kinds of problems. Now this device can be used well, but it strikes me as often a device that is used by people who are not the strongest of writers. Yeah. And so it's a it's a crutch and it also oh, then makes the imaginary person like it's a, I don't think authors who do this can resist. It makes the the imaginary person, this, I don't know how to put it, like, amazingly impressed person, right, who is just wowed by the Mm -hmm. author, which then becomes a situation of like, wait, you're just, you're just writing a character who thinks you're the greatest thing in the world. And of course, all of her problems are perfectly solved by your solutions. Because, you have created this character to, to be this way. Like, they can't, they're not a real person. No. And the little bugbear that always gets me about this is the imaginary characters will almost always just obsessively use the author's name. Like, they will just constantly say, oh, oh God. Michael, what do you think? Michael, what do you think about he, he, at this? At the Michael, end of this book, the epilogue is
0: a letter to Sarah. Where it is I've never heard anything so insane. It's like he's talking about the year two thousand being a moment where the world is gonna be shocked by intense lightning and people have gotta get out of the way or they're gonna be burnt to a crisp. I'm not even kidding. This is what I don't know what I don't know what happens to him at the end of this book. But in this letter, every sentence he says Sarah. every single he's like and you know what Sarah this is gonna happen and Sarah let me tell you about this and Sarah and Sarah it just constantly over and over again what are you doing nobody does
1: this I just jumped to it I've got the ebook open here it starts with Dear Sarah, oh. it has been said that there are no accidents in the universe, so I might consider it to be providential that on this very day that I'm writing this letter to you, I have just finished reading <laughs> for the third time Rollo May's <laughs> remarkable book, Man's Search for Himself. Just skimming through this, every every paragraph starts out with Sarah. And, and I, I have to just say, again, this is, it's not that this letter is bad, but it just, forces you to recognize the craziness of this author is now writing a letter to an imaginary character <laughs> right, that doesn't exist <laughs> oh wait here he's talking about the 20th century that dear sarah is where i believe blah blah blah, blah. Left your own experience spirit <laughs> <laughs> your path has always been there for you sarah you simply got lost you didn't trust it and you need to be assured, as any little girl would, that your parents wouldn't leave you and that your teachers would love you. <laughs> you became disconnected from yourself, but fortunately, not forever. Because this path you're now on, this entrepreneurial path, winds around corners that will amaze you at times and even shock you at others. It's like, but this person isn't real. Like, this person who was afraid that their teachers wouldn't love them. <laughs> This episode of Cortex is brought to you by Hover. Quite simply, Hover is the best way to buy and manage domain names. It's the place I use to manage my domain names. It's the place you should use to manage your domain names. When you have an idea for a project, maybe a side project of yours, you want to make sure that you grab a domain name that is relevant to that. It's very important to have a good domain name for your business. And when you think of that domain name that you want, you wanna be able to just get in, get it, and get out. And that is what Hover allows you to do. It's so simple and so fast to register domain names with Hover. You don't want a thousand screens, you don't want tons of checkboxes to be unchecked, you just want the domain. Hover has recently lowered the prices even on pretty much all of the 200-plus domain name options they have. .com domains are now just $12.99, which still includes Whois Privacy for free, which is definitely something that you're going to want. They give it to you for free because they believe that you shouldn't be held ransom to keep your private information private. And now they have a new feature called Hover Connect, which allows you to, say, when you've registered a domain name, you can then connect that automatically to Squarespace, Tumblr, Shopify, a whole bunch of others, so that people type in your domain name, it looks like your website, but it's actually being run by Tumblr or whatever behind the scenes. This is really easy to mess up if you try to do it yourself manually, Hover just takes care of it for you. They have so many more great things that we don't even have time to mention now, like volume discounts, custom email addresses, much, much more. So if you have something that you want to get a domain name for, go to Hover and use the code TRUCKING at checkout, and you'll get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for Cortex. That's offer code TRUCKING. Thank you to Hover for supporting this episode. If we had such a yearning for values in 1953 when May's book was first published, and we have such a yearning for values today, what happened to us in the interim? The Cold War, a trip to the moon, Korea, the Vietnam War, Cambodia, the sexual revolution, the civil rights explosion, the psychological revolution, the New Age Manifesto, and the coming millennium? One hell of a lot, I would say. <laughs> We're looking of like this person isn't real. Who are you talking to? <laughs> Can you just find the little part about being burnt by uh, an intense bolt of lightning? I think that we, playing our endgame at the bottom of the 20th century, are going to need one hell of a lot more than anything our trainers have instored for us. I think we need a shock, a self-administered shock, so jolting, so outrageous, so unsympathetic to our little wants that we'll either be blown off the planet, we've each shaped for ourselves our own little spaces when we least expect it, or we will be burnt to a crisp right there on the spot, never to be heard from again.
0: It doesn't make any sense.
1: It's like Scientology or something. It's like, what are you talking about, man? Our own little planets, okay? He just
0: went mad at the end. Like I, I don't know what because, like, one before he talks about that, he's saying about how. Um, we're too obsessed with training and management consultancy, which is exactly what this book is. Like, I don't... Right,
1: which is the business that he's selling. It's, very, it's all very, very peculiar. The, the insanity thing, though, for me, peaks at what I remember as the second major sin. So the, the first sin is just the whole premise of the book is written to an imaginary character. Many books do this. Another thing that many books do, uh, but that I, I like that is combined with the first sin here, is that there is a long chapter... Where the author tells a story of a Jesus-like figure. Oh dear (laughs) Lord. Right? what the hell was this? He tells this story about like a guy finding his way in life and he's like a carpenter and he's a simple man and, and he, he travels finds a woman and he travels
0: through the world and he comes back and he has children and he finds another woman and he becomes a carpenter. Seriously, becomes yeah. a carpenter. And he has a dog and he's a poet and he's a jazz musician. This is all true. This is all stuff he's talking about. And yeah. then he goes to Silicon Valley and he becomes a salesman and he doesn 't understand computers, but he can sell to anyone because he used to sell encyclopedias and One time he got attacked by a dog, but he made yeah. the
1: sale with the torn up contract. It is so long and so unbelievable, and a a literal jesus story right? like it is so clear that this is the comparison of of like Jesus finding his way in the world is the story that he tells. And then the author, who's telling this story to Sarah, the imaginary character, wraps it up by revealing what is no surprise to anybody who's been reading this chapter, that this is a story that the author is telling about himself and his own life, and like how he came to be in the position where he's writing this book.
0: And then it goes off into a little piece of music for the next chapter in the audiobook. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, let me just get
1: this straight. You are, one, comparing yourself to Jesus, to two... An imaginary person who loves everything that you do. (laughs) It's like, okay, tick, tick. I have read... I mean, this is not the first time I have read in a business book a section where someone tells a Jesus parable about themselves. That's not unusual for this, this genre of book. But to combine it with the flaw of telling it to an imaginary character just raises it to an exponential of crazy. It's almost breathtaking and beautiful in its its insanity. I have a couple
0: of good points that I wanna make before going back. Mm-hmm. Um one of them is any plan is better than no plan. Mm-hmm. I quite like that. He talks about that like you you know, you should just have a plan. Like even if it's not necessarily the right one, make one and then you can make more later. I quite like that. Mm-hmm. And the idea of Nobody cares about your business the way that you do, and nobody will put the time in like you do. You need to accept that, then build systems, which mean that it's okay, because otherwise you'll hire people and you'll just do their work as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, that, that I think is also an excellent point, that, that you will care more than anybody else. You have to build that into the system. Like, that has to be part of it. And that that, that brings me to, I guess, really a third point that is valuable in this book. It comes about because he's wandering, you know, Jesus-like through the mountains or something. But the hotel that he comes
0: across... Oh! <laughs> <No>! <laughs> this hotel! I've tried to find this hotel. And I think I may have found
1: it, but it doesn't look like the way he describes it. Let's, let's put aside the reality of of this hotel like let's let's just ignore that for a second but he describes this just like amazing magical hotel that exists in the woods where where the the service is is perfect and blah 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 like that that's not the relevant thing what his his takeaway here is to talk about look since you will care about your business more than anybody else you have to assume that anybody who's working for you will not care as much as you do Like, how do you solve this problem if you're running something like a hotel? What are you going to do? And the answer is that you have to rigorously systematize everything. Checklists and checklists and checklists. Checklists for checklists for checklists. And it sounds obvious. And like, even, even for me, as someone who just loves checklists and use checklists all the time, this notion of you need to think of the business in terms of this. Everything that is part of the business should be able to be represented by a checklist of some kind. And so he goes through an example about how uh, he's talking about like the cleaners have not just instructions like, oh, you need to clean the room. Like, here is the order that the room should be cleaned in every time. Here are all of the actions that should be cleaned out. And you should tick, tick, tick this box, right? And so, th- this is this notion of okay, this is how you go through it. Mm-hmm. And then the manager has their own routine about like collecting in the checklists and going through that and making, and, you know, doing random checks and all this other kind of stuff. But I I really, I really like that as the idea of. The business like this is how you define the dna of what the business is mm-hmm. and like this is a thing that is separate from the actual implementation but you as the business owner this is the part that you can work on you can work on the checklists but you shouldn't be carrying out the work if you can get someone else to follow the checklist like that like yep. that is the fundamental idea of of a business that can be big.
0: Again, really smart stuff. And again, like I can think about making checklists for just some of the real basic stuff that I do. So if I wasn't around for whatever reason, somebody could pick it up and creating these systems and plans. But I need to talk about the hotel story a little bit because people need to understand why I was just freaking out. Okay. Tells this story about this hotel that he finds in the middle of the night on a drive. And he's basically found an oasis. And he talks about like he goes to the room and he gets changed and the room is so perfect and they've given him a room without a reservation and they're really nice to him he talks about going to dinner and he arrives and they've made a reservation for him but there's a line at the door but he doesn't need to worry because he has a reservation and this place must be special he takes some time to listen to some jazz guitar with a brandy in his hand goes back to his room thinking about wanting to light the fire that he knew that had been there he arrives at his room the fire has been lit already they must have known
1: Which seems unlikely.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and he thought to himself, I would love to have a brandy. Maybe I'll pour one. But when I arrive at the room, there's already a brandy waiting for me with a card. And it says, your favorite brandy, love, Kate. How did they know my brand of brandy? I forgot all of this. (laughs) I remember they asked me at the restaurant what brandy I liked, so it's there for me. And they put a mint on each pillow, and I wake up in the morning, and I hear a bubbling sound. And I go into the bathroom, and there's coffee that's already bubbling for me on a timer. And there's another card that says, your brand of coffee, K. How did they know my brand of coffee? Oh yes, they asked me in the restaurant. I didn't even notice. And then there's a knock on the door. I open the door, nobody's there but my newspaper the new york times is sitting on the mat how did they know oh yes they asked me when i checked in what's my favorite newspaper and this all goes in their content management system and it's so perfect and you know what this has happened to me every single time i've been back no it didn't <laughs> just shut up <laughs> like ah oh, this is the main problem with this book Gerber takes a thousand words to explain ten words. <laughs> <laughs> I am sure he had a word count. Because there are times when he lists things in this insane way. Mm. Like, I'm trying to think of an example, but like he will say something over and over again. Like, the key to your business is time. The key to your business is effort. The key to your business is people. The mm-hmm. key to and he'll do this. And he just keeps doing it. And this happens multiple times in the book and I don't know why he does it. And again, I reckon this is way easier in the written cuz you could just gloss over it. But I have to sit and listen to him say it all. And right, and
1: that's why I think the audiobook <sighs> especially narrated by him was a terrible mistake. It's so bad. The these are the kinds of books that I don't even normally listen to as audiobooks precisely because I'm expecting a large amount of skimming. Mm-hmm. Right? And so and so when I read business books, it is almost always read as an actual book on my iPad. I do not listen to it as an audio book. Like I will listen to audio nonfiction books that are books about a topic and and it's very helpful then, but yeah, it seems the reverse of helpful when uh, you have to listen to him go through point by point every one of his lists and you can't just go like, mm, I'm going to skip this. <laughs> I'm going to skim, skim, skim. Let me find when you change topic again, buddy.
0: <laughs> can't do it. Yeah. I want to talk about one other little thing here, mm-hmm. uh, called the Turnkey Revolution.
1: Oh, this is where he talks about franchises.
0: Mm-hmm. This is such a massive portion of the book and a lot of it doesn't really apply
1: to me and you. Yeah, I think that's why my memory of this is very dim it's like oh right i remember he talks about franchises and
0: it is a really interesting way to think of it because he's saying like even if you don't want to franchise your business you can follow this model and create procedures and manuals that people can follow but i think it's difficult for people like me and you where you know i hate to say this but like entertainment led because not anyone can do all of it right yeah You, you can't create a guide for somebody to make a YouTube video or to, to make a podcast because there's stuff that needs to go in that you can't just teach someone if they don't know it. Like yeah. you've spoken about this in this part in the past, like you've got to have this like little thing about you, which allows you to create the entertainment.
1: Yeah. Oh, and all of the things that that we do, I I broadly think of as entertainment. Like I make Educational YouTube videos, but ultimately they're popular because they are entertaining. Yeah, people people like them, and people listen to the podcast. Like, I hope people get something out of the podcast, but people listen because they are entertaining. And there is there is not a checklist that you can give to someone to replace someone who is in the entertainment business. I do think that that is a bit of an exception. You would have done it already. (laughs) Yeah, honest to God, if I could just own a company that paid. A dude who could just be me like this would be great yeah (laughs) get all the money and none of the work (laughs) that's what you would do
0: so yeah he, he came up with this term and he says like he created a term for this called the turnkey revolution which is the impact of franchise businesses on american business so he introduces the turnkey revolution as an idea and then he starts talking about the impact of the Industrial Revolution on the world. He talks about the information age and the impact of the internet and what that's having on the world. Mm. And then he says this But if you ask people about the turnkey revolution, you'll be met with a blank face. Well, of course, because you created it. Nobody knows this exists. Mm-hmm. You made the term up. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> he's like, Why does nobody know about this? Ah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Gava, you drive me mad. See what you've done to me? My the last week of my life has been spent screaming up my phone. <laughs> I,
1: I have I have specifically not really wanted to talk to you about this between the time I yeah. recommended that you listen to this book and now, but I have gotten some i messages that felt like they were verging on a little testy (laughs) like i could tell mike was a bit grumpy
0: there were points where i think i said to you why have you done this to me
1: uh i I, have you not derived some value from the book i have Mm -hmm. uh but my whole i have a whole
0: section at the end of my notes which is basically why didn't you just tell me this stuff why did you make me listen to this book you could have just told me all of this stuff like we've just told Our audience here. Why did you make me answer to this book,
1: right? Well, I mean, first of all, we need to talk about it. But you could have
0: just told me.
1: But we can't just... The conversation is different if you haven't actually read the book. Do you remember at one point in this book where he
0: says as a way to try and position your business as what you want to achieve in your life, and he says the way you should imagine this is he describes a church then describes a coffin, then describes you in the coffin and somebody giving your eulogy and what you want that to sound oh, yeah. like.
1: Yeah, that sounds vaguely familiar. Yeah. <laughs> what? About, what's, what's your point? What about that? Nothing. We can just, you
0: know, we gloss over that. There is really some good stuff in this book. There's two things. Uh, but unfortunately, it is full of so much stuff. Maybe now, listener, you will want to hear this so you can share in the pain, that's the only reason you should listen to this. Like, if you're looking for more, we've given you everything you're going to get from it, I think.
1: Well, we've, we've told you the main
0: yeah. points to be derived. There's still the a lot of context that maybe you can get, but there is, we, I think we've basically boiled down to what, what it does. And one of my other favorite things about this is there is an ad for emyth Worldwide at the end of the audiobook that I don't <laughs> understand. That's like, classy. Why, why should I need your services? Shouldn't this book have done everything? Apparently not. <laughs> <laughs> eh,
1: I, don't, I don't agree with that approach. Like the, you know, it's, it's very different to have someone actually work with you and you can hear him tell his stories in person. You know, it might be a very different experience. Well, um, of course, Sarah. <laughs> yeah. I, again, th- this falls under the category of, of these kind of things. I would not strongly recommend this book to people. But I would say that there is some value to be derived from it.
0: Yeah, there is. There is. But you need, really
1: need to know what you're getting into. You need to know what you're getting into. Um, Don't listen to the audiobook. But it just reminds me of... I just pulled it up here um, on my website. This thing that I always intend to do more, but I do very rarely, is sometimes I write up some of the notes that I take on books. And uh, there's a book called Bird by Bird, which is about writing. And in it, she has a line about how... It's difficult It's difficult to do the thing that, that we're sort of doing now, which is to just tell someone the key bullet points from a book and that you that's not the same thing as actually reading the book. Uh, and And she says in bird by bird that you know there may be a flickering moment of insight in a one-liner, but everyday truth is beyond our ability to capture in a few words. The whole piece is the truth, not just one shining moment in it. And mm. I do, I do, I really agree with that line yeah. because I have that feeling from many books that someone can tell you the bullet points, but it's not the same thing as actually reading the book, even if the book is filled with moments of just babbling insanity. Yeah. I mean, just, and, and this book is, is one of those examples. I mean, there, there are, <laughs> there are several books I have read like this where you feel like this is just filled with, craziness uh <laughs> like what's it like what's his name taleb uh i forget his first name but the guy who wrote the black swan and anti-fragile like th- those books fall into the same category of yeah. even more so than this like yeah. insanity like this person is literally out of their mind and also thinks they are the greatest human being to ever have lived mm-hmm. but it's and I could tell you the bullet points from those books, but it's still not the same thing as actually having read those books. So that, so that's why again, I'm not recommending this book listener, but I'm not disrecommending it. Uh, you know, I think there is some value to be derived separate from listening to two people tell you what the bullet yeah. points are.
0: I, I can't
1: let the irony go
0: amiss though of um, you making that point by reading a line from a book. Uh, yeah, yeah, of course. I can't let that. I just can't let that go because I quite like that. Yeah, well. Read bird by bird. It's good. And today's episode of Cortex is also brought to you by our friends over at Igloo who make the intranet that you actually like. If you are somebody who has to work in a big company, it's very likely that you'll be using an intranet so you can view important things about what's going on. You can find documentation, even collaborate and work with each other if you're lucky. Usually these things absolutely suck. I had to use a horrible intranet for many, many years at my old job unfortunately they didn't use igloo because that's what everybody should be using igloo is a fantastic intranet product that will be beautiful to look at and work so fantastically igloo thinks about every single detail they make an intranet that allows you to control how it looks so you can change all the colors and you can put in your logos and all that sort of stuff but even customize the functionality so you can give different teams the different functionality that they need there's all role-based access permissions and group spaces that they call them and with the easy drag and drop widget editor you can very simply customize it just the way that everybody is going to need igloo is completely mobile you can work from any device it's responsive so you can work on your phone your tablet or your computer you'll be able to manage your task list. You'll be able to look at documents, whether you're in the garden, on the train, at home or at the office. It does not matter. With Igloo, you can even share files of your coworkers for you all to collaborate on. They have read receipts built right in so you know exactly who's seen the document and everybody can be on the same page because you're all accessing the same files. They have 256-bit encryption, single sign-on and Active Directory integrations. You can integrate services like Box, Google Drive and Dropbox. There's just so much awesome stuff here. If you are using an intranet, it's time to break away from the internet you hate. Go and sign up for Igloo right now and you can try it out for free with any team of up to ten people for as long as you like. Go sign up at igloo slash Cortex. That's igloosoftware.com slash Cortex. Thank you so much to Igloo for supporting this show and relay FM. So whilst you did something horrible to me this week, you, you redeemed yourself a little bit. Actually quite a lot, um oh, yeah. by doing something amazing. What did I do that was amazing for you, Mike? You introduced me to another thing that cost me some money.
1: (laughs) Those are very amazing things. Things that cost money. If
0: there is one thing that joins me and you together, it's our joy in spending money on new toys that make our work even minuscule amounts more fun or easier.
1: Yes, you and I are both willing to spend money in ways that makes the business easier. Even if it's not a lot easier. Yeah, it can be like, it
0: can take seconds <laughs> off a process and I'm willing to spend £100 on it.
1: Yeah, Because exactly. it's like,
0: anything that makes this better is good. And right. the thing that you've done this time is you have made me, uh, which made it a say, another Wacom tablet? And like, yep, another one. So <laughs> I now own a Wacom Intuos Pro. Mm-hmm. Because you sent me a picture of a Wacom Intuos Pro on your lap with your feet up on your desk. <laughs> editing hello
1: internet and mm-hmm. you told me this is all i need yeah so i uh have been using a wacom bamboo tablet i think for years and years just like this old tablet that i got and as can sometimes happen with tools it was just a thing that i was using without really thinking about it i was dimly aware that it was really old um but i just you know it didn't really cross my mind and as we have discussed many times, I use a pen tablet probably now 50 or 60% of the time when I'm using a computer. Like, I like to rotate input devices. But so, like, I would just use the bamboo as per normal interacting with the computer. But it eventually started giving up the ghosts. It was flickering. It was having some connection problems. It wasn't really working. And I thought, oh, okay, this is the time to get a new tablet. And so I did some digging around, I did some looking around, and I discovered that Wacom now has this. uh, In their lineup, I think it's in the middle of their pro stuff, like some of their top, top pro stuff is just crazy, like it shows the screen on the tablet. I don't need any of that. But their like mid-range pro tablet, the Intuos, is fantastic. So I, I was looking at this online, I thought, let me get it, let me buy this and see if what I wanted to be able to do was edit a podcast without having to touch the keyboard. And this tablet has two features that make that possible. The first is that the actual surface of it is also a touchscreen or touchpad. So you can use it a bit like the Magic Trackpad for Apple. And the second thing is it has a bunch of hardware buttons on the left side that perfectly you can program on a per application basis so i can set it up so that when i press the buttons on the side it performs specific actions just in logic and i can change what those actions are if i'm using a different application and this thing is just amazing it is it is just astounding and I already got pretty fast on editing stuff in Logic with uh, the keyboard shortcuts that I had set up. But man, being able to do the whole thing without touching the keyboard, to just have a couple of buttons on the pen that I can click or a couple of buttons on the side of the tablet that I can press with my one hand, and to be able to use the touch surface to quickly zoom in and zoom out of waveforms and move forward and move back, it allows me to edit a podcast much faster and also much more comfortably. I don't have to be right on top of my computer like I sent you in that picture. I can actually lean back and just have this thing in my lap and use it. It has to be the best input device I have used thus far on a computer. It's it's astounding. I loved that
0: we both did love that Logitech mouse. One of the reasons that we both loved that mouse so much is how programmable it was. Oh yeah, but the the problem was with it is because it was so programmable. I was doing and contorting my hand in ways I shouldn't have been, and I destroyed myself. This tablet has all of that, and I don't do anything bad. Mm-hmm. I love this thing so much. I love it so much. I got the small one. You got mm-hmm. the medium. The medium would be better because it has more buttons on it. It has two more buttons on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wouldn't. It would be too big. I think for for the desk space that I have it on. Um, At some point, I'll probably upgrade to the medium. But this, I have basically now, I can do everything. The only things that I can't do is like save and Mm -hmm. copy and paste. Mm -hmm. But I I just now just go up to file and hit save, right? So I don't even bother with the keyboard. So there may be the other things that I would add. But I just want to tell people, give them an idea of what I'm able to do now. So the pen obviously moves things around. Um, I and mean, if I click one of the buttons, I can drag logic around, which is great. Um, and then I can pause, play. I can seek to the playhead, press a button that takes me back to where the playhead is. Um, I'm able to uh, cut at the like the playhead line. I'm able to select all forward. I mean, it's just beautiful. I, I love this thing. And also, there's something that I do quite a bunch, which is selecting a bunch of uh, the waveforms at once like all the audio tracks so what I set it up was if I turn it over to the eraser and hold down it presses basically the select key and I can drag and select multiple things at once
1: oh that's clever that's clever I didn't think to do that
0: and then it has this zoom wheel thing this touch ring which allows me to zoom in and out greatest thing's amazing
1: isn't it though <laughs> it's just
0: incredible it is so incredible and a lot of these tools i think are kind of made for video editors and for uh like to use photoshop and stuff like that mm-hmm. like that's kind of what it's here to do but like it works brilliantly for me and in my kind of non-logic controls, I have it so it can access mission control and switch from space to space. So I don't even need to use my magic trackpad because I find the touch gestures to be a little bit inaccurate. Like it doesn't always, like if the pen is kind of anywhere near the touchpad of the tablet, it kind of doesn't like to do the gestures with my fingers. I found that to be the case.
1: Yeah. I am never a fan of using multi-finger touch gestures on almost anything. Like I just, I'm, I'm not a fan of that as an in, as in input Device sure, uh, so I, I can't speak to that um, for for myself. But the buttons do such a great job of switching from space to space for me. Yeah, I wanted to bring this up because, like you said, this is this is something that is designed very clearly for animation professionals, for artists, for Photoshop. Like you feel like this is a a Photoshop augmentation device. Is is its prime purpose? Now, I don't use Photoshop. I do do some animation in other programs, but for anyone listening, you know, a recurring theme I think on this podcast has been us touching upon the issue of RSI and repetitive strain injury, because this is a thing that if you work it at a computer, you worry about. If your whole living comes from a computer, it's something that you worry about. And this pen tablet with its programmable interface is. I think an, an input device that anybody who makes a living at a computer, they should seriously yep. consider yep. using this at least some of the time because it just it is so much more comfortable to use. It is something that you can use for an extremely long period of time. It's there is something just very natural about holding a pen. And using it to interact with an interface, that this really takes advantage of, and the couple of programmable buttons on top of that just makes a world of difference. And I've I've been over the past week slowly trying to set it up with a bunch of different programs that I use, so that again, like when if I'm using Inkscape to draw, I can have something set up differently than if I'm using Logic, than if I'm just using the operating system in general. It is. It is a fantastic input device that I can I can really feel helps with my hands. Like it's it it takes a lot of the pressure off of of my uh, left hand in terms of editing. So <laughs> I don't know if I ever told you this, Mike, but you know I, I like to play video games, and a very common input method for video games is you know W A S D mm-hmm. with your left hand for moving forward, back, left, or right. And then a couple of buttons around there to interact with the game in some way. So it's very common that your left hand is on the keyboard WASD. And I had set up Logic (laughs) so that I was WASD-ing for all of the keyboard shortcuts that I wanted to use. I
0: don't even know what that must look like. That sounds crazy.
1: (laughs) It does sound crazy, but it was very natural that every button I wanted to use was kind of around WASD. And I could press them in the same way that I was very used to in games, having that as a hand position. And then my right hand is using a mouse. It was using the MX Master or it's using the pen tablet or whatever. But because there is this overlap with playing video games where it's like, okay, now I have two activities that are using the same hand position. I was aware of beginning to feel in my left hand a little little bit of that precursor feeling of like, oh man... This is really fast. This is why video games use this input. This is why I have also chosen to set up my logic this way with this input. But this is bad now having two activities that use the exact same hand gestures. And so that's why being able to do everything from the tablet is is just fantastic. So I can I can do the whole thing one-handed from my lap. It's just great. It's just amazing. I love it. I I really, really do love it
0: because I'm just very used to this type of interaction now.
1: When you're worried about RSI, these are the kinds of things that you think about. And I've definitely had problems with RSI in the past, problems that have prevented me from working for various periods of time. And this is, this is a tool that really helps get around that. And so I, I highly, highly recommend it.
0: Yeah, so it's safe to say, Gray, that you did redeem yourself. I don't know if... You're bothered uh, about that. I'm not bothered. No, I didn't think you would be. But I just want you to know that that in my eyes, uh, you are redeemed. Irrelevant.